The word of God for Ascension, our festival of Ascension, is based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, so I invite you to open up your bulletins to page 5 there. We'll be looking at those, those words here for our sermon. I'd like to begin as we focus our, our hearts and minds with a, with a short prayer. Ascended Lord, you rose higher than the highest heavens, and there you took your rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords, the only true God. Keep us from idols. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The last time Moses had left the Israelites, for any extended period of time, 40 days to be exact, the people quickly turn to idols. In some ways, it's almost incomprehensible how quickly they turn to idols and incomprehensible the place where they turned to idols, right next to Mount Sinai. There, there the glory of God clung to the mountain, thunder struck it, lightning struck it, thunder sounded, and the people trembled in fear. He said, Moses, you go. We can't walk up that mountain. So he went, and Moses disappeared up into the smoke, into the fire, into the lightning, the power of God's Presence and just as quickly as Moses disappeared into that frightful mountain scene, they quickly forgot about him. But the people didn't just forget about Moses, they also forgot about the Lord who made the mountain tremble. And right in the shadow of that trembling, awful mountain, the people fashioned an idol. Out of gold. This is how Moses describes the scene in Exodus chapter 32. This is verses 5 and 6. He describes what should have been impossible in the shadow of Mount Sinai. Aaron built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival of the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and go up to indulge in revelry. They worshipped an image, a golden calf. They ate and drank and they indulged in revelry. Maybe you should let your, your, your minds run wild. What does that mean? They did all of this while Mount Sinai trembled in the distance and God gave to the Israelites the first commandment that says, you shall have no other gods. It's it's astounding. It should not have been able to happen. Now Moses, in our lessons for today, he's going to leave again. This time not for 40 days. This time he leaves for good. He leaves again to disappear up a different mountain called Mount Nebo, but this time to die. 
And he's concerned. He's concerned because he knows the people. He knows those people that if they can prostitute themselves to a golden calf in the shadow of trembling Mount Sinai, that they can very easily adopt the foreign gods of the land, the promised land that God had always promised to give them. And that's exactly what happened. They prostituted themselves to the gods of the nations. Asherah, Moloch, Baal. And they worshipped them and they indulged in revelry, whatever that means. So Moses is rightly concerned because these people have an idolatrous heart. But he's also concerned because he knows the heart of God. He knows that God is holy. He knows that God is a jealous God and that God had promised, if you abandon me for idols, I will abandon Moses had had already spent an entire ministry worried about the sin of idolatry. And with his very last words, because that's what we have in our text for today from Deuteronomy chapter 33, with his very last words, he's still concerned about idolatry. Idolatry is not just an Old Testament problem. I wish it was. But, but it's not. It's also a New Testament problem. If you don't believe me, then believe the word of the apostles. The human heart in the Old Testament and still in the New Testament has an incredible capacity to fabricate idols. And so the Apostle Paul When commenting on the idolatry of these Old Testament people, he wrote to the Corinthians this. He said, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. The Apostle John, as he brings to a close the book of 1 John, he writes the most abrupt ending to a book that I have ever read, either secular or sacred. Here's how he ends his book. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the end of the book. Period. Not a doxology of praise, not a promise that I'll be with you always. He says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Why so abrupt? Is it because that he wants New Testament Christians to consider in their hearts the possibility That still the human heart is capable of producing idols. I wish I could say that idolatry is just an Old Testament problem and that it ended in a New Testament church, but idolatry is still a modern-day problem. Most of the time, it's not the gross kind of idolatry that you see when you walk, for example, into a Hindu temple And you see people bowing down and worshiping a God that has about a hundred arms on it. Most of the time it's not like this. Modern day idolatry is usually much more subtle than that. George Yao, maybe you've heard of him. He is the most prolific player 
the most prolific and heroic player of the game, Clash of Clans. And maybe if you're familiar with this game, those who play it, they just simply call it Clash. And you can download it for free off the, the app store. Many people have. You can get gold and elixir and build buildings and basically conquer the world. You can be the most powerful player to ever play the game of Clash. Before George Yao started to play the game, usually no one had stayed number one player in the world for more than a couple of days. But then, but then George Yao started to play the game, and he stayed the number one player in the world in Clash of Clans for an astounding six months. He recently gave an interview about how he pulled that off. He told the New York Times, I played the game so much that I played before I went to work. And then I played as soon as I got home from work. And then I'd play all weekend long. I'd take whatever extra money that I had, I'd invest it in the game, and he actually got himself sponsors so that he could spend even more money on the game Clash of Clans. He was so addicted to the game that on the weekends he didn't even stop playing when he took a shower. Instead, he took his iPad and he put it in a Ziploc bag and he kept playing. He had no social life. Instead, he devoted himself full time to the game Clash of Clans. He worshipped he trusted the game for his relationship, for his sense of well-being. It became for him, in every sense of the word, a God. Looking back on his behavior, he called himself, quote, insane. Do you think that we are immune this kind of insanity, this kind of idolatry. Let's all hope so, but if Bible history teaches us anything, and if my own pastoral experience has taught me anything, we are anything but immune. Somewhere out there, there is someone in love, and they've just been they worship the game. And they cannot think of going on with their lives. Instead, they're thinking more about that bottle of pills. And somewhere out there, there is someone who just lost a boatload of money. And they don't want to even think about Monday morning. Not now. They don't want to continue on with their life because that money meant everything. Somewhere out there, there is a model who undergoes surgery after surgery after surgery because beauty is the only thing that matters to him or her. Somewhere out there, there is a student who only cares about getting those letters after their name, and they will do anything, anything. Nothing will get in their way 
to getting those letters. Somewhere out there, there is a young professional who is very career-minded. And they will work tirelessly, hour after hour after hour after hour, even though their employer doesn't demand that kind of loyalty from them. Somewhere out there, there's a parent There's a parent who is driving themselves into the ground for their children. Or is it for their children? Is it rather for them? With a little perspective, just a little bit, if we could just divorce ourselves from our lives and our idols for just a minute, we might be able with George Yao to call this kind of behavior insane. And so these words of Moses, they never seemed as applicable as they do today, words written to an idolatrous people. Here's what he writes to the people of Israel. There was no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, destroy him. So Israel will live in safety alone. Jacob's spring is secure in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, Moses? He could have, like he did before, he could have just whipped out again and put on his his lips the first commandment and said, you shall have no other gods. And if you do have other gods, God will abandon you. He could have threatened him like that. But that's not what he does here, is it? Instead, he turns over the coin of idolatry. And he approaches it from the perspective of the gospel. And he asks the people of God to answer for themselves a very important question. He says to them, why would you want to have my Why would you want to have a different God? Does your golden calf ride on the clouds? Or do you have to pull it on a cart? Does your golden calf have everlasting arms, always catching those who are weak? Or does your golden calf not even have arms, or is incapable of helping? Will your golden calf bring you safely into the promised He will not. Moses says there is simply no comparison between the one true God who rides on the clouds and on the These verses are notable for what they contain and what they don't contain. They don't contain a bunch of do this and don't do that. They don't contain threats. They don't even really talk about what behavior you're supposed to have. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is more interested in your heart's knowledge. So what 
the Holy Spirit does for you is he holds out to you your God. We have anthropomorphisms here. We have metaphors. Here God rocks. God has arms. God is a refuge. God drives out enemies. He's a king. He's a shield, a helper. He's also a sword. He's called eternal and everlasting. And if we let it, these verses will quickly overwhelm our hearts as we consider our God. But the point is clear, isn't it? There's no God like the God of Jeshua. There is no God so quick to save that he rides clouds to rescue. There is no God so eternal that he never ends. There is no God so strong to save that he is a refuge. There is no God so adamant about protecting us that he has become a sword. There's no God like Moses, he's right, you know. He really is. Idols, whatever idol it may be in your life, beauty, achievement, success, career, being the very best parent that you can be, Whatever idol you have in your life, they feed your heart. Kind of like a double cheeseburger from McDonald's feeds your body. It may satisfy your hunger for a little while, but at the end of the day, it leaves you feeling hungry and empty. It leaves you feeling fat and sick, doesn't it? But consider the soul trusting in the God of Jeshua. Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. To know Jesus is to know peace. To know Jesus is to know true satisfaction in your heart. To know Jesus is to be at rest. To know Jesus is to know arms that once were spread out on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, but now are raised in blessing, eternal blessing. To know Jesus is to know the God of Jeshurun, and there is no God like him. Today, we celebrate ascension. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus ascended heaven to his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords, the only true God. So I can't think of a better way than to smash the bales in our lives and to destroy the Asherah poles and to replace them with the only God who wants to save us. Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. There's no one like him. Amen.